0: Around 2000, something big happened in electronic music. A bunch of new artists, a bunch of misfits from all over the world took a little bit of techno, a little bit of the 80s, some new romantic vibes, a little bit of punk. And seemingly, almost by accident, they all came together in what at the time was called electro. I was lucky enough to have been part of that movement with my track sunglasses at night. But to me, the people that really always nailed it, the ones that stood out to me as just being very, very special, were Miss Kitten and The Hacker. And today I'm very, very lucky to talk to Miss Kitten. We had an amazing conversation. We talked about her entire career, including 20 plus years as a fantastic DJ, uh, the electro years and everything else that came afterwards. She continued to make amazing records with Martinez Brothers, Michael Meyer, uh, DJ Anna. And we touch upon a lot of really interesting material, including the making of a song like Frank Sinatra, which for me is one of the best ever. We talked obviously Aphex Twin, Jeff Mills, Marcel Detman. We talked about the purity of maintaining artistic integrity. We talked about the intention behind music, obviously gigolo records. But what I found most was just a very thoughtful, creative, sensitive artist that had done a lot of work thinking it through on their own and more than anything had just made incredible original music so i hope you enjoy this i really loved it. it meant a lot to me this is last party on earth with miss kitten and just as a little side note if you listen very carefully you can hear birds uh, the sound of bird song in the background and i think that's very fitting for an artist who is always so closely associated with cold raw uh, urban type music and uh, that's just the kind of arts she is. It's a mystery. She's dynamic and there's a lot of contrast and you don't, it's not usually what you expect. Enjoy. Last, last, party, party, Last, last, party, party on earth. Last, last, Okay, let's start. Okay, so um, I am here with my guest, Miss Kitten. And I have to say, I've done a lot of podcasts lately. And sometimes I'm a bit excited. And sometimes I'm not as excited. But today, I am really excited. And <laughs> I, I really am. And I have to tell you, Kaho this morning, I listened to all your music. Well, all, not all of it. I listened to like about two hours. And I couldn't believe how good it was like I couldn't believe how excited I was kind of as a fan to talk to you, even though we've been friends for a long time. Yeah, how I think we have so many similar tastes and I guess just I feel very relaxed and excited to talk to someone who I know I love their music. So welcome to the show.
1: Oh, thank you so much. But I think you only interview people you like the music from, right? <laughs> so. Yes.
0: Yes. Yeah, but there's there's like and there's love, you know.
1: Oh, that's very sweet.
0: Well, but it, but it's really really true. But also sometimes you're interviewing people, you know, you like the people or sometimes you're you're interested in something they've done or a part of their career. And in this case, just as a kind of as a kid you know, as soon as I heard, you know, just some of these records, like they're perfect, and they're also well. We're gonna get to it, but your music really, really strikes a chord with me, which is obvious. But oh
1: so. yeah, I, I mean, we have that um, uh, left field, uh, weird uh, pop taste, you know, exactly the, the dirty side of it for sure. I mean, that's what brought us together. Uh, 20 years ago uh, in the Gigolo family, for sure. So we have that, insto- that um, history in common and all the crazy things that came with it that yes. we, we were absolutely not prepared for. And uh, it shaped us for the rest of our life, I think.
0: Well, I think uh, you just said it perfectly. I think the mixture of the left field with the pop, so it's it's the dirty techno and acid side, but still with these pop dreams that where those things touch and connect is something that you i don't know that many people where I really feel I could talk about it it, it where we really speak the same language. I actually always think it's like a little club there's like you green velvet uh I think Mutado, the guy from paranoid London oh yeah Me, you know, like th- there's certain people who who just they understand where all these things... Well, maybe not understand. They know where they all connect and they like the same thing. Anyway, so let's get into it. Yeah. Well, tell me about your first ever time DJing.
1: Oh, yeah. I just uh, posted this uh, picture of my very first gig... Um, You know, I was a a little rave kid uh, in the early days, early 90s in uh, the French Alps. And Michel was part of that gang. And uh, we traveled to every um, city close by to, to experience our first rave parties. And I met a bunch of guys who were organizing small parties, illegal parties, And they got to know me because I was the first and the last on the dance floor. And uh, until they told me, like, why don't you play records, you know, all the tracks. And I was um, observing DJs carefully. And so I started, you know, and they they gave me my first uh, official gig um, in a small, small village near Ansi. It's really in, in the heart of the french alps it's not far from switzerland and uh, it was in a very small uh, city venue like the village you know they always have a a room where you can do weddings and so on the
0: village the village party space
1: yeah yeah so they booked they booked that and no one knew uh what was electronic music back then from the rest like the rest of the population.
0: What year is this?
1: Ninety-four.
0: And were you and so you mentioned Michelle for everyone out there, that's Michelle the hacker. The
1: hacker. We're, yeah.
0: we're gonna will who plays a big part in this whole story. Oh so yeah. Were you and Michelle so you and Michelle were already friends back then?
1: Yeah, we were friends because we met at um this new wave club in my hometown Grenoble, and this so new, you're both
0: from you're both from Grenoble.
1: We are both from Grenoble, and there was this new wave club where they brought some Spanish Makina um, uh, DJs. You know, it's this <laughs> uh, very uh, uh, fast uh, rave music with a lot of crazy sounds, um, and we met there. And we were like a bunch of guys, maybe 10, 20 people, to have really understood that this was something phenomenal. Uh, and, And most of the New Wave fans just didn't like it. But Michel was like part of this group of people that we've seen every week that really jumped into it and that that was it or our destiny with um, <laughs> electronic music was sealed, and then we started to to her, to hear about uh, raves. We never heard the te- the term rave before.
0: What would you say was your first musically was your first like passion? new wave like did that come did did the 80s music come were you already really really deep into that before the electronic stuff
1: yeah 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 i i think i really got into music in in term like you know not just listening to music that comes in one ear and and Goes into the other, like like a background, like like a lot of people listen to music, basically. like more passive.
0: You, you yeah, but and it but became more active, like totally understanding w- it.
1: Yeah, when you can relate to it, it speaks to your own life, especially mm. when you're a teenager and you know you're a little bit not depressed, but. Um, I had a dark, <laughs> a dark. Uh, you know, I, I liked everything dark. So um, when you listen to The Cure and you're in a train and, uh, you know, the lyrics and the landscape through the window totally makes a whole movie in your mind that's how that that's how you can you can say you really get into music when it merges with your own life yeah
0: yeah. it's crazy we uh I think it's going to happen many times in this conversation but we we really think alike I mean I just I just recorded a podcast with someone a few days ago and I said specifically when it is the movie of your own life you know when you're in motion and you're especially when you're a kid, you want your life to be something else. You want it to be, a, you want to see the credits roll on the screen. You want to, it's adding romance to your life.
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and also that there is someone out there who knows what you feel. Mm. And it's not your family. It can be your friends.
0: It's Robert Smith.
1: Yes, <laughs> it's Robert Smith. <laughs> it's so, totally Robert Smith and this episode, uh, you know, of South Park uh, with Godzilla and Robert Smith and Barbara Streisand. This is it.
0: <laughs> I remember when I first met Michelle, and I remember thinking, "There's something. There's a, It seems like there's quite a, a natural, deep relationship, something between France and New Wave." I don't, I don't know exactly what it is, but I remember always hearing how popular Depeche Mode were in France, yeah. and I, and I remember even early on in the electro days, like how popular my records were in France, mm, and yeah. there always seemed to be, and then people like Michel, there seemed to be a strong tradition of, I don't know what it is exactly, but I
1: know what it is.
0: Okay, well that's why I know you're here. what it
1: is. Tell me, um, please. It's uh, the soul of literature the soul of Rimbaud, Les Fleurs du Mal, uh, that kind of poetry, romanticism and uh, melancholy, that and film, like the, the film noir, um, all these very cinematographic and literature-like um, soul of uh, French people somehow, you know. Mm. I think that's that. I think New Wave uh, definitely fits that Um, uh, dark, uh, romantic uh, part of us.
0: So you... Yeah. And you, you're a perfect, I mean, you guys have it. I mean, you, you just have it. So (laughs) you, so you have, so you're coming out of your, your childhood, you know, your teenage years, and this is in you, the, 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 the romanticism and the melancholy and the new wave. And then, so what, so the first exposure to electronic stuff, the first exposure to either techno or rave or whatever happens when it happens in 94
1: no, no earlier earlier
0: okay it was were you already were you buying the records or listening to the music before the parties?
1: everything started in this new wave club because uh when the spanish makina band uh turned, uh showed up, uh the boss realized the potential on kids of um such music, and then the new wave club turned into um a a disco that plays the early Acid House stuff like S-Express and uh, uh, also uh, shit stuff like Dr. Alban and all the stuff that were very electronic in uh, Top of the Pops, so to speak. I mean, we didn't have Top of the Pops, but we had something similar. And so the club became really uh, dance-orientated. dance music really i think the term dance music came from that time as well and um yeah that was really the big the big turn and and then we heard about detroit techno and house and chicago new york a little bit later maybe maybe a couple of years after that because compilations started to arrive um in our area like uh, around 1990 91, yeah. And then Illegal Raves arrived uh, around 92 in our area, yeah.
0: Do you remember the first time that you thought you could be a part of this? Like that you could be either a DJ or a performer
1: or make music? It was a succession of opportunities, I would say, because um, I knew I would... Always go to clubs and dance, that that was sure. And at the time, um, I was a student and I I quit in the middle of the year. And uh, I wanted to find a way to get into the club for free. Yeah, yeah, I remember this. (laughs) I remember this phase. (laughs) So I went to the boss of this club. Uh, it was a big club with different uh, rooms and different ambiences and, and music. There was even like a, a tropical room. <laughs> and uh, so I went to him and I said, OK, you you just brought DJs from, from Spain, from these mega clubs there. And there is go-go dancers and you have to have some. So I can do that. I mean, I never, I didn't know how to do that but uh, i con- <laughs> i convinced him and I, I he asked me do you have friends to to do it with and i called uh, that girl that i knew she was like a real bimbo hairdresser and she went to spain every summer with her parents and she knew exactly what i was talking about and we started like this i mean so it didn't last very long maybe 6 months because after that uh rave happened and there was no way I would stay in this club and I, I would just go raving, be broke, but go raving. So I, I was a go-go dancer in a small, uh, um, town, uh, club for, for a few months. And Michelle really enjoys, uh,
0: (laughs) I remember, I remember this feeling when, when you're really young, when, any little recognition, like any connection to the club. When you, know, when you first start going to these clubs, I remember you're so desperate for even the smallest involvement, you know, like if you could hand out a few flyers or if you could. I remember being so I just wanted so badly to be part of the, the scene, you know.
1: But, you know, the, the, very honestly, I never wanted to be exposed I just wanted to dance, I wanted to have free drinks, and that's it. So I didn't really enjoy being uh, on a pedestal, dancing. Um, it was not really the best part, that I, I could dance all night and get money for it.
0: <laughs> yeah. That was it. Well, what came first, wanting to be a DJ or wanting to make music?
1: Um, none of them. Seriously, okay. Um I had friends uh with who I would go to the rave parties by car somewhere from other cities and one became my boyfriend my first love and he had turntables at home so when they all said oh Caro you should play records it would be so cool so I was at his place and um and he dared me to do it so I just picked like two records in his bag uh, and uh, and I put them together. And seriously, it was the big luck of the beginner because he couldn't believe it, and he was like, "It can be, it can be. They are together. They are together." You know, I re- I will remember that moment forever. Wow. And I I thought, "Ma, maybe maybe I'm gifted." You know. So later on, I went to Paris. Uh, for a couple of days to visit a, a friend, and I bought my first record uh, there. But at the time, I was a student in fine art and I had no gear. So I would miss uh, school to practice at a friend who had turntables and uh, when I had gigs. So that very first uh, gig that I had in '94, I had to practice uh, at my friend's place. Um, and I literally learned uh, to DJ on big sound systems right away. So my trick was to record a tape, a 90-minute tape, old-school tape, and to never stop the tape, even if I do a mistake. And this was how I really learned uh, the skills.
0: So you're... So you mean that the years where you were, when you were going to parties before this boyfriend dared you to mix, you didn't dream of being a DJ? You weren't Never. looking up at the stage? Like you had no big ambition? Oh, I'm going to no. be a mama.
1: my um, My ambition was to be free. And I say this with all my heart because I was not a very happy kid. My family surrounding was not very stable and i wanted to i always knew i would do something artistic because i was good at uh, everything around that like drawing or writing or painting whatever and um uh djing was not a job djing yeah, was i know people uh,
0: forget people people forget that now
1: yeah and also besides uh this, I was always quite uh, fit on the ground as crazy as I am but I always knew uh, what was doable or not and definitely having a DJ career was not a was not a goal at all it was nothing it was it was not a path for me at all I just did it as a hobby and so my friends gave me my first official gig there in ANSI. And, and after that, I had another one and another one. But Did you I get al-
0: paid? Did you get paid for that first gig?
1: Uh, maybe uh, <laughs> something for the fuel and uh, maybe like a uh, hundred francs. I don't know. Uh, something, something small. But I, I always um, envisioned every single gig I had like the last one you know, because mm. I, I, I never... Well, that's perfect
0: for, that's perfect for this show because that's the idea. It's your last party ever.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's It always sounds like it's the last party ever, somehow.
0: If you look at each one like the last, that's quite a precious... That's, a, that's like a pretty good attitude. And also, it's strange for me. I mean, I was obsessed from the age of 17. I wanted to be a DJ. Like, I was really, really, really ambitious, specifically uh, about...
1: Yeah, because you come from a different surrounding. I mean, your your dad was a very artistic person, and you grew up with uh, with DJs somehow.
0: Yeah, I guess my dad. Just for the record, I want to correct that. My dad is not an artistic person, but he was, <laughs> but he, but he was uh, a DJ. I,
1: I remember. Uh, I remember something that proves it. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's. Yeah, I think he. Yeah, do you remember the first record you ever bought?
1: I think it was uh, a Plastic Man record.
0: That's like
1: good. Like the, the the like I mean the the first electronic music record that I bought by myself. Yes. There were a few, uh, but uh, there was a Plastic Man record in it. One of his first ones. I remember exactly where I bought it. At BPM in Paris, and God, I I hated to go to record stores. Why? Because imagine uh, you are not a Parisian, and it's visible, <laughs> yeah. and you're a, a small girl, and you enter in this world of geeks, yeah. and, and it, very it's, elitist it's, it's very, at the it's time. It's
0: very true. Yeah, yeah, it's very true.
1: Yeah. So imagine when the and first Paris time and Paris would you be the worst. You enter in a record store, uh, not in your city, and you know nobody. And uh, you go at the counter and you're like... Uh, I want to buy records. Yeah, great. And they give you like a pile of shit. They give you the the
0: ones they've been trying to get rid of for six months.
1: Exactly. And it's only when you pick like maybe one Plastic Man record that they are like, they look Hmm. at you with more consideration. So (laughs) my later on, my secret uh, weapon to immediately... Put everything on the table was to ask, uh, Do you have dopper effects?
0: I was gonna say, I <laughs> knew you were gonna say that. It's instant credibility, it's like, yeah, especially because, in Europe.
1: Especially because most of the time it's the type of records every uh, record store owner loved but couldn't sell. You yeah, know? Well, now,
0: now <laughs> so now they when they found
1: someone who wanted to buy that, they were like super excited.
0: First of all I want to say I've heard you DJ lots and you're a really I mean you're a fantastic DJ. So Thank you. That, that's no and and you yeah I mean you're I hate to say it in this way but you're you're a real DJ, you know. I'm not I'm not saying that I'm the one who decides but you're a real DJ. <laughs> Thank and, you. Or actually yeah I'm the one who decides. So what uh in your dream party or maybe your first party back after all of this what is your opening record?
1: Definitely Otecker Lost it's on an EP called AEP, and it's from '94, So it's exactly the year where I started uh, DJing publicly, officially. And why this record? Because very early on, this is exactly the kind of track that I would put in my sets no matter what. And I remember precisely uh, playing in a huge rave in south of France, one of my first ones, and I opened with that track. And at at the time, it was like, what the fuck is she doing, you know? Yeah,
0: exactly. But
1: then, and you leave it really (laughs) long. You leave it long, and then suddenly, when you drop uh, a 4-4 beat over that, everybody understands, and everybody's like, what the fuck she just did, you know? And that was my way to, to, like, to be taken seriously somehow. But but also because I meant it very much.
0: Where did you get? It takes a lot of confidence to do the the long attacker It
1: it takes no? a lot. Of, it takes a lot of rebellion, you know, because I I I wanted to. I was full of anger. Somehow I was playing very hard and very fast. (laughs) And uh, that's the kind of things you do when you want to say a big fuck you. And, you know, that was more like to impose your taste no matter what. No matter what people say, I needed that in my life.
0: I think that's a big part of DJing. How you just said it, imposing your taste on everyone else, no matter what. (laughs) That's like, it's that's definitely part of it.
1: I would say it's the art of DJing because, of course, you're you're here to to please people, to make them have a good time, but you have to do it also with your own taste. Otherwise, what's the point? You're just a, you know, um, uh, a machine. A jukebox. (laughs) Yeah, jukebox, exactly. So um, I was very extreme in my challenges to myself, Uh, but um, this was really the type of tracks that uh, would paint very well uh, who I am.
0: This is attacker lost. Before, and we sold a lot of Autechre records, and I will say personally, I don't think Autechre always kind of bothered me. Like I, <laughs> I, well, I was I remember I would sell so Autechre always had a crazy cult following. There were there were crazy nerds always that loved Autechre. I loved Aphex Twin, and I think part of. I was obsessed with Aphex Twin, but also Apex Twin had, had the identity, you know, he had this, this persona Mm. that, that I also loved. But what's funny about Autek, I think is, uh, you know, you playing it, let's say to start a set, whatever. Also at the time it was so futuristic, you know, it sounded, it was so, it sounded so crazy and so different from everything else that there's also like in terms of rebellion, it also just sounded like nothing else, you know? My version of Rebellion was more stupid, you know, and it was more, (laughs) I was more stupid and plus eight. And Autekar for me was always a little bit sophisticated.
1: My fascination for Autekar back then was that the beats and, and the texture were super harsh and super disturbing. But then suddenly they throw a very... Super smooth, uh, dreamy melody, and I love that contrast of uh, hot, cold, and hot. And, yes. and this is something we we cultivated a lot with uh, the hacker writing tracks. If the track was disco, I would say very dark stuff, and if the if the track was dark, I would sing uh, very naive stuff. This mm. contrast is what we love in in books what we love in films uh it says a lot about life contrasts
0: that's yeah that's exactly how i feel when i make music i'm exactly. not i'm yeah and that's also i think oftentimes why we both why we love things that are they're not the final commercial product because there's just a rawness that it, it doesn't have that final polish you know it hasn't it has the edges are still sharp it hasn't been hasn't been ground down yet you know
1: yeah because life is not like that it's not smooth it's not neat it's it's always dirty and sometimes you have uh, graceful moments that's the mixture of it that talks to a lot of people you know
0: yeah well life's not like that but a lot of artists and a lot of musicians try even though life's not like that, they yeah, try it, to make the music extra polished and extra perfect because, as an escape from that. And other people... Yeah, it's
1: the Instagram of music.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh God, oh no.
1: You know so, what I mean? Like every, Yeah, yeah, 100%. If you, tr- 100%. If, you, if you try to be perfect, uh, you're losing your time. You're spending a lot of energy uh, doing this and I think you are missing a lot of uh, great things in life, you know? You're, it's a loss of time,
0: and also perfect is never really authentic, you know perfect's never really who you are, you know it's or not, interesting
1: it's... simply is boring
0: so i I have to talk a little bit about let's say the first wave of the Miss kitten hacker music, so first of all, a small story I probably told you this once, but I want to make it public. I have to <laughs> say thank I have to say thank you, like a real thank you because I was djing in a little city Calgary in Canada I didn't have a lot of gigs out of town at the time and I went to a record store in 2000 or maybe 99 I think 2000 I went to a record store and just completely randomly they had your record on Gigolo the NTMT so I bought the record I went home I listened to it and I fell in love I mean completely I was like oh my god I didn't I didn't know that it was possible for the things I loved most, which basically was techno and eighties could sound modern and different and new. And when I heard sweet dreams, I was like, Oh my God. And, and from that directly from that moment, that's why me and Yori made sunglasses at night because I was like, okay, it was like a punk rock moment. It's like, Hey, if they can do that, maybe I can try this. So I, my, my career is very much based on, that moment played a big part wow yeah so thanks
1: just simply because you you realized that someone who had the same influence as you could combine it and assume it in an electronic uh, modern world
0: yeah well I had no I had no idea I had never once thought about putting my voice on a record I mean I wasn't even making records, but but I mean even in my fantasies, even in my even a kid in bed at night, I was never thinking, Oh, I wanna be a singer or I wanna record know, my voice. It's, really. But
1: it's the same for me. I think Michelle really uh we talked about it. It was a way to to stand out from techno who was very instrumental and um we thought we could never make techno as good as Jeff Mills or You know, so we, for us, it was Dopper effect, like who produced uh, that effect on us. Well, we thought, if he's saying that, we can say anything.
0: (laughs) When did it start working with Michel? When did you, what was the first record you ever made? And when did you decide or think we could do this?
1: Well, that group of friends I was talking about before that uh, gave me my first gig, They started an agency with local talents, so they took me on board. And to promote this agency, they asked all DJs to uh, give them a a record, a track. So uh, the only guy I knew in town who had gear was Michel, the hacker. So I called him. I said, uh, listen, uh, they do a compilation they need a track. Uh, I have no gear. Uh, can we do a track together? So we did a track together called uh, Gratin Dauphinois. Oh, yeah, I remember that And one. It, it has <laughs> no uh, no lyrics. We did it on the floor at a friend's place. I met DJ Hell in a party where I opened. And uh, David Caretta was also playing there. And after the gig... Uh, David told me, uh, "Hell is coming to my house to make music. Do you want to come and spend some days?" So I took my car. It was in the summer, and uh, actually, Hell drove my my <laughs> my fucked up car, and we spent some time um, at David's. And uh, Hell told me in the garden, sitting, he said, "I'm starting a label." It's called, it will be called International DJ Gigolo. I was like, <laughs> what? It's, it's, it's a stupid name. Like it, you know, we were into, into techno, serious, yeah, dark yeah. techno and like the Punisher. And suddenly a guy comes I with know. like International DJ Gigolo. I don't want to be part of that, <laughs> you know. Uh, when I drove back to Grenoble... Uh, I called Michel, I said, listen, I just met Hel. Um he's starting a label, and uh, he wants tracks from me or us. Uh, he loved Gratin Dauphinois, and I also played him in my car a tape of just me playing around with an 808, uh, Plastic Man style, that I did at France, and he loved it. I mean, I, I don't have the tape anymore, but that was my first uh, try to make music on my own. And um, for some reason, he liked it. I think it was shit. But anyway, so Michel said, OK, let's, let's go to Kiko's uh, studio. Kiko had a record store. And uh, upstairs in the mezzanine, he had his studio. So we went to the mezzanine while people were buying records downstairs. You know, the mezzanine wasn't closed. You could hear people downstairs. Okay. And so Michel did uh, Frank Sinatra. And uh, he told me, okay, what are you going to sing on it? Or say, what are you going to say? So I went back to my grandparents. That's where I was staying at the time. And I wrote uh, these lyrics like, Suck my dick, kiss my ass. I don't know how, I don't know why. But the next day... Uh, we went back to the studio, I showed Michel the lyrics, his face. (laughs) (laughs) He was like, are you gonna say that? And I said, yeah, why not? Um, If if hell doesn't like this track, then he has no balls. Mm. And I don't know why. I, I still don't know, but we had friends sitting behind us. So we recorded the track. I was singing in headphones because we had no microphone. And on the, the original DAT recording, you can hear Kiko sending a fax.
0: Oh my God. So I have so many, I have a lot of questions with this. Well, one thing that comes to mind when I think of you and Michelle, I think a lot of me and Jesper, Jesper Dahlbach. We, yeah. we have a, and one thing that's amazing is there's a certain type of person. It's a mystery why, but they really give you a quiet confidence that you're allowed to be crazy, you know, or you're or you're allowed to be silly, or you're allowed to yeah. with with vocals specifically, because it can be very embarrassing and it can be you're you're very vulnerable when you're like, okay, these are the oh, words. Yeah. And it's a very specific dynamic when somebody special kind of they don't judge you, but but it's not just that, they kind of you you fit like a puzzle a relationship where you're allowed to be the crazy one and so when you said about Michel his face changing that's how it was always with me and Jesper where he's like Tiga really are are you gonna do that
1: that's that's probably why we were meant uh, to be in each other's life because Michel always had the fantasy to have a duet like Eurythmics or Visage, but I I was never so much into that. For me, I preferred Front 242 or Joy Division, you know, I I was never in that, so much in that pop fantasy. And uh, for some reason, I think he was waiting for someone to help him assume that part and for me i had nothing to lose so i was like jumping into his universe um without thinking and and um and my rebellion side of doing something uh provocative uh, provocative you say yeah was provocative. Uh, yeah that was probably my fuel uh that made me do all these crazy things
0: Mm. When you wrote, so when you wrote the Frank Sinatra lyrics at your grandparents, is that just did it all come out very quickly? Yeah. Just like one shot.
1: Yeah, most of my lyrics come quickly. Me if too. They, I don't. I don't yeah. understand it. <laughs> now it's a question of timing. If you m- make space uh, in in your life at some point for ideas to come, they will come. But if you go to the studio every day like you go to the office for me it's not working no, no idea uh, I cannot I need to nourish my imagination to have something to say
0: I also I need the track every good one I ever made like pleasure from the base of it is for me I always pictured myself a bit like Gabby from DAF you know where yeah. it's like I'm just treating my words like almost like a hi-hat or it's just percussion. It's like I just find, you know, you find the rhythm and you find these little gaps and these little spaces, you know, and then obviously you turn it into a good phrase or something. But I never wrote lines alone like, oh, wow, I think that's going to sound good. I always needed to have the track.
1: Ah, it depends. Sometimes I I have uh, a quote or... Uh, a line that comes in my mind, I, I put it down somewhere and I know I can use it later when I don't have inspiration. It happens, but usually it's easier to have a backing track because you, you close your eyes and you see what comes to your mind, what what yeah. the track inspires you, and that, that's really great to do that. It's super fun.
0: Yeah, it really is fun. Well, I mean, it's really fun. It's really fun when it works. It's, yeah. not so much, it's not so much fun when you're... I have I have some... I could send you demos that were not as much fun. Yeah, but, um,
1: <laughs> we all have. <laughs>
0: uh, if you could pick one song of your own that I guess is your favorite.
1: So I, I thought about this before and uh, for symbolic reasons, I would pick You and Us because... Um, It's a complete autobiographic song. I rarely uh, write uh, autobiographic songs. I don't really like to write about myself. It's more fun to observe and to... To completely invent from scratch a character, you know, like a theater character. So You and Us is really about the the feeling of us traveling and playing music. So so it really tells a lot about who we are. That's why I would pick this one.
0: So this is uh, Miss Kit and the Hacker, You and Us.
1: Spirit, thinking about you, friends, mountains, and body times. I wish you could see us, how we are, what we love and hate. This is what our music is
0: about, you and us. This is what our music is
1: about, you and us.
0: Say, I love that song so much. Oh, thank you. It's a bit embarrassing, but also because because it's got an acid line, you know. Totally. But but that was autobiographical. Was exactly what came to mind, and it's also it's very innocent, you know. It really has this feeling of like what your life was like. But it's an incredible record. Let me ask you a little bit about acid. What? When did the the love of? I know you love acid records. So do I. When did that start? Oh. Right at the beginning.
1: Oh, yeah. And uh, it exploded. Uh, I mean, first of all, we also had a new beat from Belgium Mm -hmm. with the first uh, acid lines, you know. Uh, But also S-Express was like the first uh, kind of acid uh, hit uh, worldwide. But later on, I really digged into it with uh, I don't know if you remember uh, Acid Core and uh, uh, ESP Woody McBride. This was for me like the the, such a pavement for my style, and it was fast. It was crazy. They were crazy. And it was it's very important in my uh, DJ uh, path because. That's how I learned to play uh, pitch control. So recently when I did the boiler room, I saw comments of people saying she doesn't mix because they never saw me touching uh, the turntable. But it comes from that time. If you would touch an acid record and very fast acid record, you would hear it. So I had to play like really fine and uh learn to play so you don't hear when you when you put the records together. So I, I love that.
0: So let's talk a little bit about Gigolo. I mean, me and you so we were both really involved. I guess it became known later as Electro Clash, but yeah. I guess it's you know, it's a you know, I don't know, two or three years really there, two thousand to two thousand and three. That's when we met you know, and there was a crew, there was Fisher Spooner, Zombie Nation, uh, David Coretta, Vitalik. There was all different people and everyone coming from a little bit of a different angle. Yeah. And so what is your what was your feeling at the time? Did did you enjoy it? Did you love it? Did you miss it when it was gone? Were you looking forward for it to end? What what was what are some of your feelings about
1: it? The main feeling I have is that I was not conscious really of what was happening. We were thrown into something so new, so fast, that uh, my mind was always a bit behind what was going on. Imagine um, when we sent the demo uh, of the first TP to, to hell, he burned a, a dub plate... Uh, of our tracks and he was playing them and suddenly he tells us like i played it in berlin they are all going crazy for it berlin berlin was in history books we we never imagined we would go that far and uh and suddenly we were traveling to all these places like a family with hell uh being like a Hugh Hefner, <laughs> yeah. and uh, and 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 the the scene was pretty much still very techno, so it was interesting to see techno guys suddenly reconnecting to their sweet pop side that uh, they were trying to push away for so long. You mm. know it's like it's like suddenly a pop song comes on the radio and you are singing in your shower even though you are crazy about joy division (laughs) you know what i mean so uh but i love the fact that we were not i I wouldn't say glamorous because it it was still very raw we would play in uh, warehouses in east germany for me to be honest more than the the musical aspect of it uh, it's it's really that we discovered places, we discovered the world. Michel yeah. has never taken the plane before we played in Munich. And for French artists who are not from Paris, to be able to travel abroad was already something unimaginable. Only people like Laurent Garnier or or Parisian house DJs would have an international career. And back then in France, no one would take us seriously. So we were in another dimension. We were thrown every weekend in another world. And even in the techno scene, we were thrown into another world. And that was so mind-blowing and we were so naive. We so didn't know a thing that somehow we were like carried, carried in something we had no idea of, you know? And I love that. I think it's the biggest gift we ever had.
0: It was, yeah, I guess it was all happening so fast and there was no uh, explanation. There was no, a lot of the things that came later, like managers and cell phones. And <laughs> <laughs> no, but really, I know it sounds crazy, but even, even. No photos, you know, just it was right at the end. It's kind of this last, the early 2000s, the kind of this last era where things were unofficial.
1: And, and you know also, what I mean? like,
0: not, not, they, things weren't so legitimate, they yeah, weren't so yeah, organized. You know? I
1: think, the, like, mainly we became a bunch of weirdos coming from different countries, different backgrounds. Uh, we were. Uh, very different individuals, all with a strong personality, and hell put all these people together uh, to create this kind of dysfunctional family, you know? And this is so cool. It doesn't yeah. happen every day. No. Now everything is so uh, gentrically uh, put together, it would never happen today.
0: No, one thing I always love to think about. I, I have, you know, one nice, a, a good. I mean, I, I really love Hell, obviously, and and he played. We a big, all do, yeah, a big part in our lives. But one thing I thought about later, I never appreciated this at the time because it was new. But I remember when, when Sunglasses at Night it went on the charts in in Europe and in Germany and England and stuff. And I remember so we were going to go on TV.
1: Oh my and, god that and, that's the <laughs> pot top of the pops I will never forget that so, especially the the video in the the hotel room you posted recently Oh my god with EDMX it's Ed DMX. So it's the best it's the best thing I saw in a long time
0: Thank you, you know, me too but so but that's kind of the same feeling so the thing is I remember hell so you know it's a big deal you're going on TV and you're, you're you know it's the beginning of what could be all these commercial uh, opportunities and I remember hell didn't put any pressure like nobody cared. there was no and when I think back on that now, it seems like another world like now if somebody had an opportunity, okay we're do we have this big TV thing or it's a you're everything's so serious and everybody would be so desperate to make the most of the opportunity but and then it was what? like it I, was just like it was ghetto, you know it was just like okay.
1: I have an explanation for that. I think because what happened was so unexpected that uh, it took a while for people to understand what was this movement. It was so blurry uh, at the time. So let's say major companies that later came into the picture with Fisher Spooner and so on, and it was already the end of clash. to be honest, but it took took a while for them to realize the potential of it. And I think we all benefit from the fact that it was taken as a joke for a long time. And I cherish that a lot. I mean, it it really was a great thing that no one understood it straight away in higher spheres.
0: Yes, and it wasn't too... Yeah, it's funny, eh? as soon as... Any Americans got involved? It started to. <laughs> <laughs> That's really like if you just if you just look on the timeline. As soon as there's some Americans, things changed.
1: Yeah, but you know um, when when it became global uh, ElectroClash, I had people from uh, major companies coming to me saying, "You are the the only underground figure right now who can pass to the next level." And uh, uh, telling me straight in my face, yeah, if you go on diet, if you uh, take a stylist and if you take uh, dance lessons, you can really go far away. And I was (laughs) horrified because that's Frank Sinatra is really a song written by ravers in a forest who were... Uh, taking a piece about people with money who didn't know how to party. And so suddenly, I have people asking me to join what I always hated. And, and this is when we, we stepped back with Michelle because we also were super tired of touring for years in very poor conditions, and we thought this is not the way we want to take So we stepped back and it saved us. It was a really good decision. I never regret uh, not to have taken the chance to become uh, a a major pop artist, you know, never. Not one second, because that's not who I am. And it's very hard for people to understand because um, the, the masses, they dream of this how can someone with such a big opportunity can turn her back on this? That was like big deal, <laughs> you know.
0: But privately to yourself, I mean, what is the reason? Like like when you think, you know, I, I know it's, it's not an easy answer, but...
1: Oh, it's very easy.
0: Oh, it is an easy answer. Okay.
1: It, it <laughs> is easy because I, th- to be famous and rich was never, never a goal in my life, you know. To be free, to have fun, to be my own boss, to not to depend on a man, and to to just do what I want and live from it was uh, was my goal. And I knew that if I become someone I am not, I would lose everything. I would become very bitter. I could uh, uh, fall into drugs. I would just my life would become just a big lie. So I knew that. I told you I'm very down to earth. So I was always very, very um, clear with myself. And uh, I think I was completely right.
0: (laughs) I think a lot of the time it's a question of how well you know yourself, you know?
1: Yeah, but I, I understand that it's the dream of people to be rich and famous. But I always knew it doesn't bring happiness. I always knew that.
0: Yeah. No, it doesn't bring... Well, no, but but I know if I think of myself, for example, it's always been... It hasn't been so clear because, um, let's say, if I think of songs I make, you know, I I, I like the idea of a song really breaking through. You know, I, I like the idea. I mean, I guess that's the eternal appeal of something like Kraftwerk, you know, where it's like it's all exactly as they wanted, it still has all those, those details of staying true to themselves, I think. And it also transcends and becomes a global hit. And, you know, like, so that, that's, I, I've always, for me, that's the difference between Doppler effect and Craftwork. you know, I mean, yeah. it's not the, it's not the only difference, but for me, I, I was never satisfied with, um, I guess it never felt like enough, the Doppler effect there's gonna a lot of people say yeah, what are you talking but, about but
1: yeah that's why we are all different and that's why there is people like the effect who would inspire you to yes. do something like craft work yes yes and yes, yes. Um, and it and you have to know very early on in which category you are yeah and i definitely. i knew very early on that i'm in the category of people who may inspire others who take it to a bigger level, but I'm not the one who will take it to the bigger level. I'm, I'm very happy in my position, and I think that's why it's great we are all so different. Otherwise, if there would be only people like you or only people like me, it would be boring, you know? Yeah. It can't work. So it's good.
0: Yeah, definitely. Anyway, also, too, I mean, just to be clear, I think the music itself... Nothing about ambition, nothing about trying to go somewhere else would have made your music better. For example, so Doppler Effect, it is absolutely perfect the way it is. You know, yeah. it, it, there's nothing that would have been improved if if uh, he's like, okay, we're gonna, you know, sorry, but we're gonna get Rihanna to do the vocal. You know, it. Does, it
1: does, no, I can't picture that. I can't. You know,
0: no. So okay, so as a DJ, I mean, after I guess. Um, after electro starts and there's a lot more popularity and a lot more press you on some levels i guess you become what we would call a techno dj you know you're you're touring you're playing festivals and
1: uh yeah but i always was a techno dj and then michelle came into the picture because i was asked to do that track and it takes uh incredible proportions and then suddenly I become recognized for my voice and less for my DJing and I have no problem with that but then we were when we got a bit tired of uh, touring because it was so intense uh, I just got back to what I did before and that was uh, great you know very very cool to do I couldn't do one thing or another I think uh, I just got the the big luck to do the two things at the same time. It's it's a dream somehow.
0: But do you think this is something? You're one of the only people I could talk to about this because you're one of the only DJs. You and me and a few others. You're one of the only DJs who you're known as a DJ, but also you sing on records. Or you or you you know. Yeah. So so this. Do you ever think? Um, okay, yes, you got some popularity because of your records, but do you ever think that the, con- that it hurt your DJ career? The, the simple focus of if you're, let's yeah. say Marco Corolla or Jeff Mills, you know, Jeff Mills, it's like, these are the records I make. They fit into my set. There's a part, this is, this is a full package and mm-hmm. it's very clear. Whereas you, it's like, okay, I heard Frank Sinatra on the radio and, and now I'm going to go hear her play, and she just started with an Autechre record. You know, like what? Like, this is
1: so me. It's exactly me.
0: But same here. I know for me, it, well, I'm not, but I definitely, definitely, it made things more complicated.
1: But my life is complicated. So you, and you're fine with that?
0: That's just how it is.
1: I would say, like, just for myself, I suffered a lot. From being an outcast, uh, but I created that, so there was always this duality in me to uh, do whatever I want and uh, at the same time not to belong anywhere and it's strange yeah. because that's I what, what you're looking for. And at the same time, it's very hard to live every day. So for years, it's really until recently that I took conscious of the strength it was. That was my biggest talent was exactly that.
0: Why do you think you want so much to be separate?
1: It's an existential question a lot of now a lot of the people who never felt they fit in would understand that. It's nearly autistic, and that's probably why people like us or like me. No, our, I'm, I'm, our I'm the artists. same. I,
0: I, I'm the same. I have my own. I yeah. know it's it's not the kind of thing you can answer in a quick phrase, but I. No, I, but
1: I I think uh, my explanation is quite clear. Mm. Um, since a very young age, you understand you're different. You don't like the same things. You don't think the same way at school. You don't learn the same way, uh, and being an artist gives you an open door. To be who you are, so yeah. it's a constant battle to find your way and because you never feel like uh, included in the world you you create something you create that your own is world. your own world and and of course it's it's completely different than anything else because that's who you are but it's hard to accept because it's a very lonely path, very lonely where and it feels
0: and it feels complicated sometimes.
1: It's painful. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm really not wishing this to my worst enemy. But I mean, we only see the visible and successful part of being like this. But on a daily basis, it's a very it's a difficult. It's, it's nearly a mental disease, if I can say so. Yeah. Because you constantly question everything uh it's a it's a lot of pain, but uh you can t- transform it into something creative and my work is a reflection of that from A to Z seriously, mm. so I'm very lucky to to be able to do both and more yeah and then and then you can you can complain that you are not. Uh, exactly who you want to be or that you're not accepted or anything. And back to the question of playing techno when you just released an uh, clash hit, mm. I took it as a challenge. I Again, my rebellion was like, yeah, I wrote that track, but I love to play this and that track in my sets. I don't want to play my own music. And that's the way I am. And if you keep that line... Uh, your fans expect that. Expect that honesty, you know. So I always took it as a a kick in my ass.
0: So when you're DJing, what's an example for you of peak time energy or a peak time record? The real killers. I know okay. you sent you sent me a few. Yeah. And and I one anyway uh, one of the ones you sent me is like was like my favorite record of the past few months. So I was so happy to see it. Um, uh, the no. dance one.
1: Oh my God. Uh, it's a it's, sick record. Oh my God. It's sick, uh, sick.
0: I played it New Year's Eve at the peak of my, like, ugh, seems like a million years ago, but it's a real modern rave record. I'll let you talk about oh. that one. I'll, yeah, you can so, talk about all of them.
1: Yeah, it's uh, Antigone. It's this French uh, techno DJ um, close to the concrete club family, you know. And he did that kind of breakbeat techno record because you know breakbeat techno is back big time. And he did that very short track. It's only three minutes something on Trip, Nina Kravitz uh, label. And it's kind of a compilation EP. And it's called Dance. And it's just a bomb. A bomb. it, it, It summits everything I love in techno in rave. The
0: so this is uh, Antigone or Antigone with dance. few years you know it's just become this it's kind of like now it's just another genre that everyone goes back to the kids go back to it everyone's trying to recreate the spirit
1: but i'm so i'm so happy about it because i i i'm a kid from The '90s. I'm a rave kid, so I'm so glad I can play this stuff again. That I never stopped playing either, anyway. Same.
0: Oh, same. Well, but I'm so happy also. But of the new ones, you could get a hundred records where you're like, okay, fine, I know what you're doing. You went on YouTube, you listened to a hundred rave records, but then there's something like this where it's like, ooh, fuck! Like he really, he really captured the feeling. Like I, and you get those shivers, you know. Now another one you put on your list is Enjoy malfunction and this (laughs) this record for me caro i i still listen to it i have the you remember they did one live in manchester oh yeah i still i mean i'm a a grown-up i have like a real life and i still (laughs) go and i still often just put it on and listen to the whole thing super loud it's one of the greatest rave records ever Base kick.
1: That we were all looking for, going to a party.
0: Yeah, exactly. This is
1: the moment where everybody comes together, forget the time, forgets where they are, and go crazy. This community sense of what is a rave.
0: Hmm. See, we, me and you, we love the same things.
1: I think we just love the smart shit that speaks to the essence of everyone in a, in a twisted way, not the obvious thing, you know,
0: if that early nineties, this, this real rave experience, when it was new, when it was also happening to you at a certain time in your life, I think that energy, you never, it never leaves you. It's, it's like, it's just something.
1: It changes your life forever.
0: It really does. And it's not, I mean, it sounds like cliche, but it really does. And I think, I mean, for me, I'm, always still kind of chasing that energy it's always my first choice that ray of energy is always my first choice not deep house not groovy not that is still the thing that i i i I worship you know
1: yeah because somehow unconsciously you want to maybe transmit that life-changing experience to the people in front of you because their life can just be better or I always remember that when I step behind the decks, maybe in the crowd, someone will go home and say, hey, uh, that's not the life I want. I want that life. And and maybe they will click just Mm. by listening to a record and having that feeling printed so deeply in, in their blood, you know, that they can change their life. Yeah, that's the power of music.
0: Yeah, that is the that is the best thing, and it's very good to remember that at oh. any mo- at any moment in your career when you're not, you know, that's just the best guiding principle.
1: Uh you can't forget that; it's impossible.
0: Mm. Well, I, I, yeah, I know I, what you mean. <laughs> I mean, I, I have de- there have definitely been nights when I was DJing where I did not remember that. Um, <laughs> so I want to ask you. Well, let's go with more music because these are such important records. Jeff Mills, The Bells, you put on the list. Oh.
1: Record is there is nothing like it, and uh, you can play it uh, over and over, you never get tired of it. It's like uh, pure energy, yeah. It's the ultimate techno record, I think.
0: Do you want to hear something funny? So, first of all, Jeff Mills was the first, de- I mean, he was the first guy I saw a play when I was 18, and I wanted to be a DJ after that 100%. And I love Jeff. I've never played the bells, not once.
1: Wow, that's incredible. I
0: know, and I don't even like it so much (laughs) and i've had and i've had this argument with i mean not argument with some because the people i really respect and love and my brother and everybody just you know it's just this anthem and i'm always like hmm yeah hmm."
1: (laughs) 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 that's amazing it doesn't
0: make sense it's just it's crazy anyway
1: yeah because you you are more uh an adonis uh, type of guy
0: yeah so let's well, I don't know if this is totally about the Bells. I mean that's separate. But definitely with with Detroit. No, I just never I don't know. I was I was never into strings. I was never into pads. I wasn't into anything so soulful and jazzy and I don't know, a lot of the time I think it it just took me a long time. To grow and to become mature enough, in, in my head, I don't know if that makes any sense.
1: But I don't think techno is about this soulful jazz thing. I think it's more the energy of a raw city. And because I in Grenoble there was, it's not a very interesting town. Uh, we could totally relate to that uh, uh, that groove. The groove of drum machines, and this is really like uh, like a train, like a factory, like uh, a repetitive life. I think this is what uh, why we 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 were so into it. It's the, the energy of something raw and uh, to escape boredom. You know? Yeah.
0: No, I mean now, obviously, I love most of it, and but I also think too. I think there's something in how Europeans romanticize America a little bit. You know, like I, I always found a lot of my European friends had, you know, it's just a little extra something because it's over there. Just in the same way as how, I mean, that's how I always felt about Germany. Um, yeah,
1: it's you're very right. You know, there's something yeah.
0: like for me, you know, for me, there was this, it, this mystery of, of, of Germany and how it worked, and the artwork, and the fonts, and the writing, and the, 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 the philosophy, and the cars, and which obviously there's a lot of parallels there with Detroit.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, it's funny because France was uh, completely split in two parts. You had uh, Paris, they were extremely house. And San Francisco House and Chicago and all that, and the rest of France a lot was into techno definitely yeah it's uh it it was very clear and there there was a little <coughs> war. my dog just barked i heard i'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna open the door just a minute
0: what's a record that you've been saving to play
1: again, I will go back to the Otheker family, unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> for you. But I, it's more like I, I just found back in my record collection a few days ago uh, a Fat Cat uh, Records from um, GESCOM, Gescom, I don't know how you spell it, which is uh, Friends of Otheker and it's all the guys from Scam Records and the uh, Boards B- B- of Canada all these guys and uh, there is one EP on Fat Cat that I bought at Fat Cat Record that is Ad Vance versus uh, Jescom. it's called Viral and when I played it seriously I nearly cried I nearly cried because at 2 minutes 20 there is this amazing melody coming in and yeah let's let's hear it yeah.
0: is a closing record for your dream party one of the ones you put on the list is like my favorite record ever so I'm gonna try to control myself
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah of course I had to say Aphex Twin because Mm -hmm. he's God
0: thank you yes
1: he's God I don't have any other answer for that he's like the the perfect artist in every way Mm. uh it's surreal. It's he's trans- he's like
0: he's like our. I think he's like our prince. You know,
1: he, he's more than that. I would Whoa. say he's he our Glenn Gould.
0: You know, Glenn Gould's from Canada, right? <laughs> Do you know that Glenn Gould? My grandmother played violin for Glenn Gould.
1: No way. Mm-hmm. You know that I'm obsessed with Glenn Gould. I read his his books. I don't know if you read his own books. I did because not. Because you you would love it. Nah, i'm 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 saying Glenn Gould because he was uh probably a bit asperger hmm you know and I think Apex is somehow a little bit like that like a lot of genius people mm-hmm. and uh yeah it's probably the last the last record I would wanna hear uh the record that would transport me to whatever to the other side
0: <laughs> yeah i
1: don't know well it's uh,
0: it's uh i i don't think you can choose a better one
1: honestly i know it's a very env- uh, obvious answer but i i really don't have any other one no uh
0: i've there's no question that's well that album selected ambient works there's nothing I've listened to that much in my whole life.
1: I'm the same.
0: Nothing and Helios and that track, Helios fan probably is the standout one. And I think I mean the amount of times I was I've been in an airplane, I felt horrible like whatever, I haven't slept, like you know your your brain is really turning against itself. And I've put on that record hundreds and hundreds of times. And it's like, it's almost like biblical, you know, it's like almost like a a psalm. You know, it's like, it's it's not just music. It does something else. And it's, uh,
1: it's totally biblical. It's a good choice. one the one that comes to my mind. Oh, I know I put another track but forget it. it. Has, yeah, <laughs> I, I I know.
0: <laughs> but you know what's amazing though is just is how lucky we are that we like Apex Twin is ours. Really, in the sense that, you know, these years, like 93, 94, like that is exactly when you want it to appear. So it's not the same as me. You know, now I can go back and listen to Leonard Cohen, but it wasn't hitting me. That's not when I was 18. You know, it's not when I was 17. Yeah.
1: It's magic. I totally understand what you're saying. Oh, and the
0: artwork and everything. Anyway, so what, um, for your dream party, who would be... Do you have a favorite DJ? Or who would be the DJ that we, you would want to play either before you or after you? Who's your favorite DJ in the world?
1: I'm going to say something... Controversial? N- no. Um, <laughs> my my choice really comes from the heart. doesn't come from an objective uh, um, talent point of view, you know? But... I'm going to explain why, but it it has to be Marcel Detman. Okay. And so to tell the story short, um, we played in that big rave in Bogota a couple of years ago and his flight was delayed. Uh, so I played longer and he showed up just like 15 minutes before curfew. So he played three records (laughs) and then he begged me to come to the after party. So, you know, I never go to after party. I don't take drugs since a lot of time. And so why the hell would I end up in an after party in Colombia, you know? But I went there because he said, come on, we haven't seen each other in a long time. I just arrived. Let's hang out. And we hanged out behind the decks for probably six hours. I was so tired, but I was so transported by playing with him uh, that I I went back like I couldn't walk anymore, like that level of exhaustion, you know. And mm, then after wow. that, and that was already magical. Everybody who was there knows it. And then he invited me to play uh, at Panorama Bar for his own night. And I haven't played there in a long time. I don't know why, but... So, like, for my comeback at Panorama Bar, it was for Marcel. Mm. And Marcel was very tired. I was not in the best shape mentally uh, with my DJing and so on. And we played together the most amazing hours of my life wow so just to say you know you're you're not so excited anymore about djing you have a little down you don't you think you have seen it all somehow it's very (laughs) repetitive yeah it's it's honest we all have moments like that and I didn't know that Marcel was going a little bit through the same phase. His wife told me. But something so magical happened. And again, everybody who was there could feel it in the air. Even the staff. even We were like, every record was unbelievable in this moment. Mm. Every... Every mix we did That's the, it's was... The best,
0: this is the best feeling ever.
1: I I cried wow. at some point because I just couldn't take it. And I, I was so conscious of the gift that the god of DJs somewhere up there just <laughs> sent me at the moment where I just didn't give a fuck anymore.
0: I really, I believe that this, I believe in the god of DJing for that. It's happened. Sometimes to me.
1: I call him, you know, when I'm desperate.
0: <laughs> I wonder what he's doing now. Nothing. He's not doing anything now. He's just
1: God yeah, he's God send... and
0: is on holiday right now.
1: Now he's sending us some great reflections to have about what we are doing, I think. Mm, yes. But just to return to the story, uh I will never ever forget this moment when when you you think you've seen it all and and something that powerful strikes you you know and and Marcel agrees with me because we talked about this for for we still talk about it and his friends still talk about it his family and and my friends who were there and you know he's he he's my complete alter ego as DJing Technically, the choice, the risks, uh, the fun, the the adventurous, and it's so fluid, it's so natural, it's so honest, it's so... I cannot describe what I felt uh, for for all these hours. It's not just 10 minutes or half an hour. It's six fucking hours, you know? Yeah, I never that's... felt something like this before, so... And and every time we play together it starts again. That's the craziest thing. You so know? you
0: found your I mean, okay, so you've so you know exactly who plays with you, at your last party.
1: For sure. I don't care what we play. I I just care that just to feel that again a little bit.
0: My favorite one of my favorite feelings in the world is like after an After a night like that, when you're, you know, like you're on your way home or you go back to your hotel, and just that feeling of like, it's your mind is just peaceful, like all answers, you know, no questions, everything is aligned. Just it's like okay, you know, just this is everything just makes sense, and it's such a nice feeling. Yeah, Mm.
1: Yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing, and (laughs) and and God, we we needed that, we really needed it and uh and so we have must have done something good to to get that <laughs> mm. to get that gift you know
0: i have a question if you could if i could give you a, an an imaginary vip ticket for anybody ever to come to your last party who would it be
1: i say this for both of us but prince yeah prince because <laughs> he would enjoy it
0: prince is the best he,
1: he would enjoy it And it would be humbly uh, a way to give back the emotion he gave us. You know what I mean? To give him a good party. Oh, my God, yes.
0: Where
1: where he he doesn't have to play, where he just can dance with his friends and be happy and and with no pressure. I, I wish that sometimes in his life he could experience that. That's really, like, because this guy was so into his art. I wish we could give him a moment where he can lose it, you know?
0: Mm. Well, I'm sure he, I mean, I'm sure he had fun. But I would of like course. to, but I But I would, uh, yeah. You know, it's incredible. It's like, you could ask a hundred people that question and like 80 of them say Prince, <laughs> which is so cool. Like, which is, can you imagine you're the person that for the rest of history like you're the you're the one that they want to come to your part to their party. Um,
1: it's amazing.
0: I want to ask you a question just back to the tracks. I mean we have got just a couple minutes left. To me, song like Frank Sinatra or Stock Exchange, like to me they're perfect. And I, and I mean it seriously, like they are perfect. Nothing could be added or taken away that I think could make it more what it is. Do you feel like that about your own songs, or do you feel a little more conflict or you know like do you feel like yes, these I nailed them a hundred percent?
1: I never or you really don't think about it I don't think about it because it's like painting when the painting is finished, you know it is. you know you're not gonna change one bit, and uh just technically. Everything was recorded live, so there is no way we could change a thing. It's it's like a print of the moment. And we were so uh, naive or spontaneous at the time, we didn't realize uh, what we were doing somehow. You know, it, we just did it, we recorded it. Uh, the lyrics were recorded live on the track on Atari, so there is nothing we can touch. So that's pretty magical. That uh, that it's there. It's, it's like this. But and your wor-
0: But the words. Your the words are perfect.
1: I I never.
0: Well, I'm here to like tell you. It's, it, it's then it's let like me it's, say it. <laughs> it's no really. Like, oh,
1: no, but I think it's very unconscious. It's like an automatic writing for sure. Mm. Well it's that's like, why it
0: that's why it seems so real and good.
1: Yeah, mm. but there is something we are completely sure with Michelle when we look back is that if it happened to us all that shit it's because because somehow we were kind of pure enough to deserve it because we we didn't expect anything in return. Mm. And I think that's that's really why things like this can can happen.
0: Yeah, totally.
1: If if, if you try to create something like this uh, on purpose, it it doesn't work. It's all like kind of accidents.
0: Well, I was just talking. I just did an interview with someone, and they said a concept that I loved, which was. The the frequency of intention that the intention you deliver something with actually has some hidden frequency that reaches it's, people.
1: It's totally that. And that's you know what? When I have to record lyrics or I have music to do, this is exactly the thing that I tell myself when I step in the studio and I switch on the gear. It's what is the intention? And it doesn't matter if it's not perfect. If you are synced strongly with what you want to say, you will deliver. And that's the same when you DJ. When you step into the room and it's your turn, what do you want to say? What's your intention? And it's it's all about this, only about this.
0: Mm. If I were putting together some records for the aliens in the future. And I could only from, from the, from the whole, from that whole period, you know, I guess the, the return of Electra, whatever you want to call it, really, if I could pick one record, it would be your guy's record. It would be the first album I think because just because I think, um, I think it was the most true to the, the dream that everyone had, you know, even if it's a bit of an illusion, yeah. I think it was the most faithful. I mean, I think Vitalik's first record was unbelievable. I mean, in terms of st- stadium techno and power, it was some. <laughs> it was really. I was very jealous. I was always jealous of that record. I was like, God damn, you know. And uh, the big zombie track was a massive track. Yeah. And there's some moments, but I really think uh, you guys. Yeah, captured something really special. And also, this is nice for Michel, because he always wanted to be, you know, Eurythmics or Soft Cell or whatever. There's something that can only come from that dynamic of two people. You know, there's something uh, delicate, special, that can come only from the two personalities. And you guys got it.
1: And the fun fact is, I truly believe that it was completely Michel's vision. It was not mine. I just stepped into his universe and tried to bring uh, what was missing. I think my role uh, in this duet is was always to, to bring Michel's uh, art to something he would have never dared doing by himself. I think that's really also... My gift when I collaborate with people, I really love to dig into their deep thoughts and their their personality and and reveal uh, the best in them. I'm at the service uh, of the music. I'm. 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 That's all. I'm. 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 I'm just trying to make the track uh, better with music with the lyrics. But if the track is bad, you can add the best lyrics on it. It will never be good. So, uh, but I really like that submission to the one who is making the music and the music itself. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have no ego to shine more than the music or than my partner at all. That, that's where it's really interesting, you know, to be at the service of the art, yeah Seems that's be.
0: yeah that's not so common and also oh, too no. no it's really not the other thing too is i mean i i said how much i love your music and the tracks and everything but just to be clear uh specifically lyrically your writing i know what it's like it's not something to dissect or analyze you know it comes from a very unconscious raw place but i also know that your style it was pretty original and it really it was a big deal and it and it i think it really affected a lot of people and it was uh so it's cool.
1: Oh it's it's because English is not my, my native language and I, I use it in a very weird way, like just as I can somehow. And I use that uh problem
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: because it's a problem not to speak properly English, but I use it uh as a strength somehow. I, I turn this uh weakness into something interesting and and it shows a lot about someone you yeah, know because definitely. that's that's what we should all try to do uh, as growing up as building your personality i could do it in music i barely could do it in my private life <laughs> but <laughs> but that's the case of a lot of uh, creative people you mm-hmm.
0: know okay caro thank you so much
1: You're welcome.
0: Really, thanks a lot. It was
1: a long one.
0: Yeah, it was a long one. I'm telling you, trust me, it always goes long.
1: Uh, We we can go on forever. Last last party. 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 Party.
0: If you enjoy my podcast, I would like you to take the extra time to recommend it to a friend or to add some little stars, or even write a review, any of that effort will result in me slowly climbing the algorithmic ladder to the stars, which uh, could result in untold riches. Thank you.